Today, we are in the midst of a rebellion against old customs, traditions, and long-held beliefs that were the foundation of our society. Some call it the culture wars, and nothing is considered to be sacred. We are witnessing the destruction of old values and the emergence of a brave new world where truth is what you want it to be. Everything, including marriage, family, and the Christian church, is up for grabs. Where can security be found? John Carter has traveled the Middle East more times than he cares to remember. He has walked in the footsteps of the ancient Hebrew prophets. He has explored the crumbling remains of an ancient civilization. He believes he has found the answer in an ancient book. How do you know the Bible is true when some people of science call it fiction and even nonsense? Isn't it time to accept the fact that it is a collection of myths? Hello, friend. Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Carter. Welcome to my house. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And I'm so glad that you're going to be my neighbor today. That's really a very good question. But you know, there's a better answer than the question, because the question, even though it's good, uh, well, it's not so good. Because the question said that all the scientists in the world believe that the Bible was false and uh, all the scientists in the world are, are atheists. Well, that isn't true. Have you heard of Francis Collins? One of the most, uh, most distinguished scientists in the world. Some say the greatest scientist in the world. He wrote the book, The Language of God. He is a firm believer in God and in Christ and in the Holy Scriptures. But you know, I believe in God and I believe in the Holy Scriptures not because of, of my blind faith. I don't, I don't believe in this thing called blind faith. I, I just don't believe that idea. I know we're often criticized as Christians because people say, atheists say to us, you've got blind faith. That's what Richard Dawkins says. But I don't believe in blind faith. I believe in a faith that is based upon hard, concrete evidence. Are you listening to me? I was down in Egypt some time ago with my great friend, Dr. Randy Yonker from Andrews University. Dr. Yonker is one of the world's great archaeologists, a great biblical archaeologist. And we went along in the town of Luxor, deep in the heart of Egypt, and we went to the tomb of Rekamaray. What's so important about the tomb of Rekamaray? Well, you go inside this tomb, and on the walls you see these fantastic paintings that go back about three and a half thousand years, back to the days of the Bible, and uh, portrayed in living color. After thousands of years, you've got pictures of Egyptians beating up Asiatics and Semites exactly as you read in the Bible. Now, I, I believe in the historicity of the Bible, not because of blind faith. I believe it because of the evidence. I'm going to read you a text now out of the book of Exodus. Exodus, let me see, chapter 1, verse 11 to 14. It says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. These cities were probably called this after uh, the time of the great persecution. 
But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread as the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labour and brick and mortar and with all the kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labour, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. You can read it in the Bible, you can read it in the ancient chronicles and you can see it on the walls of the, of the tomb or the worship centre of Rekamaray. Now who's this guy Rekamaray, you say to me. Now John Carter, who's this guy Rekamaray? What's he got to do with believing in God? Well Rekamaray was a high official under Tutmosis the third. When I was in the Cairo Museum some time back, I was taken into the royal mummy room and I saw Tutmosis the third. Remember this name, Tutmosis the third. He's even got Moses in his name. Now, if you go according to the ancient chronologies, including First Kings chapter six and verse one it appears that the children of Israel got out of Egypt at the death of the Pharaoh in 1450 BC. This was the time of Tutmosis III and the time of Rekamaray. And there you go into the worship centre of Rekamaray in Luxor and you see the Semites, most likely the Israelites, being enslaved and beaten up by the Egyptians. Don't tell me this is a matter of blind faith. I believe in the Bible not because of blind faith, my friend, but because of the evidence. You mentioned Egypt, but what about Iraq? In the Bible, Iraq is known as the land of Mesopotamia or Assyria. What evidence have you found there to support your claim the Bible is not fiction? I've been to Iraq on many, many occasions. Um, been there for going there sort of regularly for the past uh, 40 or 50 years. I know the ancient land of Mesopotamia. The word Mesopotamia means the land between the rivers. It is the land of modern Iraq that is sitting between the river Euphrates and the river Tigris. Of course, it's mentioned in the Bible over and over and over again because this is where much of the Bible came from, the land of Mesopotamia. Now, let me tell you something which I find quite amazing. Have you heard of Jehu? Hmm? Jehu? The Bible says, hey, he's coming pretty fast. Uh, he's driving like crazy. He's driving like Jehu. Now, Jehu was the king of Israel. Now, many people say you can't believe any of this stuff in the Bible because it's all fiction. It's all, as my old father used to say, it's all hooey. <laughs> That's what my father used to say. Once he, it, Jonah, it's all hooey but he changed his mind and maybe some people who are watching me today and watching this telecast, you're going to change your mind too. 
Now, Jehu is mentioned in the Bible and the skeptic used to say there was no such person as Jehu until this happened. I'm going to tell you about it. They found what is called the Black Obelisk. It was found in Nimrod that is now called Kala. Have I been there? Yeah, heaps of times. And on the Black Obelisk, you've got a picture. It's been carved into the stone of Jehu, of King Jehu, kneeling before the great dictator Shalmaneser. Now, both these characters are mentioned in the Bible. They are real historical characters. I believe it. Now, I've got to tell you something else. On a recent trip to Iraq, I was taken to the city of Nimrud, not Nineveh. Nimrud or Kala is about, let me think, 20, 30 miles from Nineveh. I was the first person from the West to get there when they were making this extraordinary archaeological discovery. They had opened up the pavement of an old building. They had worked on that old building for hundreds of years and they had missed the discovery of the century because there they had found a royal tomb containing, if my memory is working correctly, I think it was 100 pounds, maybe it's 50, largest quantity of gold jewellery that I've actually seen. I was the first foreigner from the West to see it. It was such a hot discovery that the Los Angeles Times sent a reporter to my home in the United States and they interviewed me and the Los Angeles Times put a page about it, uh, the fact that I was there and I had seen it. What's so significant? Because it was the jewellery of, of the wife of Sargon the Great who was mentioned in the Bible. Just another little bit of evidence so that you can believe that the Bible is an historical document. I've been there. I've seen it. What about Belshazzar and Nabonidus? That's a great question. Belshazzar and Nabonidus. Now, for many, many, many years, skeptics said there was no such character as Belshazzar. That's what they said. Now, when you turn in the Bible to the book of Daniel, you read there that the last king or the last uh, person ruling on the throne of the ancient Babylonians was a guy by the name of Belshazzar. But secular historians said, no, the Bible is completely wrong here. It wasn't Belshazzar. It was a guy by the name of Nabonidus. Now, have I been to Babylon? Yes, heaps of times. Have I been to Nebuchadnezzar's palace? Yes, heaps of times. Have I seen the inscriptions? Yes, heaps of times. I was almost put in prison because I'd gone to Babylon at the time when Saddam was going there at the same time. Uh, I, I could have easily been killed, but I was there because I was on, a, uh, on an exploration looking for truth. Now, in old 
Babylonia, in Mesopotamia, they have discovered some time back, quite a while back, they have discovered a clay cylinder, wait for it, written with cuneiform. The cuneiform are those funny little wedge-shaped letters. You know what I'm talking about. And this one, which was celebrating the moon goddess, ends with a prayer for Nabonidus and his son, <laughs> Belshazzar. We now know for a certainty that the Bible was right because Nabonidus retired. He got sick of the rat race in Babylon. And so he left Babylon. He retired and he put his son as the power on the throne of Babylon. So there you got it. Nabonidus inscription, the Belshazzar inscription, you put it all together. We are not talking about fiction. We are talking about hard historical facts. I believe in the Bible, not because of blind faith, but because of the evidence. Who was Nebuchadnezzar? The Old Testament talks a great deal about a great king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. It's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. There's a book in the Bible by the book of Daniel. Uh, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And when he was a young man, he got to know another young man. His name was Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of the great Babylonian Empire. For many, many years, of course, um, skeptics derided the Bible because of its insistence upon the historicity of characters like Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar, and also characters like Daniel. They can't say this any, any longer, my friend. I've been to Babylon and I've seen with my own eyes the inscriptions that were written by Nebuchadnezzar. I've been to the great museums in the Middle East. I, I've been to the great museums in Baghdad. And there you can see, for instance, the, the stealer that actually mentions Nebuchadnezzar's building list. Now in the Bible, Nebuchadnezzar was walking around his palace on one occasion and he said, isn't this great Babylon that I built for my glory? He was a great boaster. <laughs> uh, he, he, was, uh, he would have fitted into, well into, into politics today, I would think. Uh, he was the great boulder, uh, boaster and the great builder. But he left a record of these things. We now know that uh, Belshazzar was a real person. Nebuchadnezzar was a real person. We now know that the Bible is an accurate historical record. You can believe in the scriptures. What about discoveries in Israel? Do they prove the Bible is historically true? Can we follow everything it says in confidence? As our world changes so fast, can we put our trust in this book or is it a collection of fairy tales? Uh, no, it's not a collection of fairy tales. It is an accurate historical record. Even Richard Dawkins, the world's greatest atheist and skeptic, says that Jesus was a real person. Of course, he didn't always say that. Uh, for a long time, Richard Dawkins derided the, the historicity of, of Jesus Christ. But even Richard Dawkins today says, yes, there was a Jesus. There's so much evidence, so much historical evidence. All of these great events were written down by eyewitnesses and they were preserved 
and we have those records today. You've heard about Pilate, haven't you? Pontius Pilate, he was the Roman governor who handed Jesus over to the Jewish authorities to be put to death. Every person has heard about Pilate. For a long time, people never believed. Of course, the skeptics never believed in Pilate. But then they found this inscription, the Pilate Stone. <laughs> it actually has the name of Pilate, the procurator, the, the Roman governor. These events that are written down in the Bible have been shown to be reliable by the, by the most amazing discoveries in, in archaeology. I've gone to the Middle East time after time. I've gone there as a, a, as a bit of a skeptic. I've gone there because I've wanted to check it out. I don't want anybody fooling me. I don't want any church fooling me. I don't want any, any preacher deceiving me. I want to know for myself. And I have seen the evidence and my testimony is this. You can believe in the his, uh, historical records of the scriptures. I believe it is the word of God. Now let me give you an astounding piece of evidence. It concerns the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in the year 70 AD. Now, I'm going to turn here to Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read it to you out of the Scriptures. Matthew 24, verse 1 and 2. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Jesus predicted the destruction of the Jewish temple. Jesus said it would be completely destroyed. And Jesus went on and gave other prophecies concerning the destruction of Jerusalem, prophecies which are so amazing. It is evidence of uh, a divine presence. Now, about 40 years after Jesus gave this prophecy, the Romans came against the city of Jerusalem. They completely destroyed it. But it's an amazing story. In 66 AD, the Jewish people, tired of the injustice of, of the Roman overlords, rose up and tried to kick the Romans out. That was in 66 AD. And for a while they were succeeding. They struck a coin that said, in the first year of liberty. The Romans sent down their governor from Syria, a guy by the name of Cestius Gallus. He attacked Jerusalem, but he could not uh, really defeat the Jews. But it seemed for a while that he was going to destroy them. But then for some strange, inexplicable reason, he withdrew and went down the Beth Horon Road to the coast. The, the Jews, who were fantastic fighters, they came out like wild hornets and they attacked the Romans and they killed thousands of them in the Beth Horon Passes. But Jesus said, don't be taken in, because he said Jerusalem is going to be utterly destroyed. The Romans came back. They came back a few years later under General Vespasian and Vespasian drove all the Jewish people towards the city of Jerusalem, destroying all the cities and all the towns. 
And then he was called to be the, the emperor of the mighty Roman Empire and his son became the general who was going to overthrow the city of Jerusalem. And that general was General Titus who later became the emperor of Rome himself. This is an amazing, amazing story because you've got Bible prophecy here. And I'm going to take my Bible and I'm going to turn to a text in the Old Testament. I'm going to turn to the prophet Daniel mm -hmm, chapter 9 and verse 26. This chapter written about 550 years before Christ is a prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem. It was amazingly fulfilled. It's quite incredible. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one who is the Messiah will be cut off and will have nothing. In other words, the Messiah would be murdered. That's what happened to him in 31 AD. The people of the ruler who will come, that is Titus, the people of the ruler, the ruler was Titus, who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until, until the end and desolations have been decreed. The, the text is quite explicit. This text, which is about two and a half thousand years old, it says the people of the ruler who will come, the people of the prince who will come. Now the prince was Titus. In 70 AD, Titus tried to save the Jewish city of Jerusalem. The city had been surrounded for months and months and months. There were hundreds of thousands of Jewish people inside the city of Jerusalem. It was chaos. Uh, the people were dying of starvation. There was a civil war that was raging. And Titus eventually broke down the walls of Jerusalem, exactly as the prophecy predicted. But some of the Roman soldiers, just caught up in the passion of warfare, rushed to the Jewish temple and they decided that they were going to destroy the Jewish temple. In fact, they took flaming torches and they threw them into the Jewish temple. But Titus rushed down to the Jewish temple because he said, this is the temple of, of Almighty God. This is the temple of Yahweh. And he said to the Roman soldiers, you must spare the Jewish temple. It is the temple of Almighty God. But strangely, Miraculously, the Roman soldiers would not listen to Titus. And the Roman soldiers rushed into the temple and completely destroyed it and they burned it to the ground. Titus did not destroy the temple. He tried to destroy the temple. The Bible said two and a half thousand years ago, the people of the prince, the people of the prince, the Roman soldiers, they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prophecy came to pass. I believe in Holy Scripture because of Bible prophecy and also because of archaeological evidence. It is not a case of blind faith. It is a case of overwhelming evidence, my friend. With so much evidence, why do so many people and scientists not read the Bible? What is it that they do not understand about Christians and Christianity? One of the most famous scientists in the world is a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins, the professor from Oxford University. He wrote the book, The God Delusion. 
He says if you believe in God, you're completely deluded. Now, I'm not saying Richard Dawkins is a dishonest person, not for one moment. But I don't think Richard Dawkins knows the evidence. There is overwhelming evidence why you can believe in the Bible simply from the viewpoint of archaeology and the viewpoint of Bible prophecy. I haven't scratched the surface today. I could take you to heaps and heaps and heaps of places. I am a firm believer. I say not because of blind faith. Richard Dawkins says you believers, you're crazy because you just simply believe because of blind faith. He says there's a difference between faith and evidence. And that's where he gets it completely wrong. Like the great uh, professor from Oxford University, uh, Professor John Lennox, mathematician, I believe that faith has to be built upon truth and evidence. I do not believe in blind faith. I believe in an intelligent faith that rests upon the pillars of truth and the, the pillars of evidence that can be tested. Uh, let me give you just a, a little bit of evidence, uh, departing for a moment, for a, departing from the field of biblical archaeology. Let's just talk about science for a moment. Now, the idea that all the scientists in the world are unbelievers is absolutely false. I know heaps and heaps of world-rate scientists who have complete faith in God and they believe in Jesus and they don't have a blind faith. They have a faith that is based upon evidence. Now, the greatest uh, statement that was ever made, I believe, is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, most people can say it off by heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible teaches that the heavens and the earth or the universe had a beginning. Are you with me? Up until about 60 years ago or 70 years ago, almost all the scientific community did not believe that the universe had a beginning. You say to me, no, you're, you can't be telling me the truth here. Absolutely. Scientists believed in the eternity of matter. They did not believe that there was a point in time when the universe came into being. But in the 1950s and the 1960s and the 1970s, scientists discovered that there was overwhelming evidence to support Genesis 1 and verse 1 that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I listened to a remarkable program some time back on PBS. It was called The Echo of Creation. Scientists have discovered with their listening devices that out there in space there is a murmur. There is an echo. It is the echo of that cataclysmic, amazing, creative event Scientists call it the Big Bang. I don't care what you want to call it. But scientists say now, yes, the universe had a beginning. That's exactly what the Bible says. Have you ever thought about this? The whole of the scientific world, virtually every one of them except believers, had got it wrong. They had got it wrong. The Bible was right. And the whole scientific, almost the whole scientific organization, including the Richard Dawkins, were wrong. I believe in scripture, not because of blind faith, but because 
of the evidence. So I say to you today, my friend, this is John Carter from his home saying it's been good talking to you today, but my message to you is this, believe in the God who believes in you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.